May our Lord have that mercy, grace, and peace upon each and every one of us as we gather here on this special and holiest of all Thursday evenings. There's a masterpiece that I stared at for hours this week. You've seen it before. I've never seen it in person, just pictures, replicas. I've seen it on t-shirts, on socks, on carpets, everywhere. The original is, is huge. It's about 15 feet high by about 29 feet long. It was recommended to be able to be this masterpiece by the Duke of Milan. You know the artist, his last name is Da Vinci. He's the one that painted for us the, the Last Supper. It took him three years to be able to put this together, to be able to make it perfect, just the way that he wanted it to be. When he finally had it done after that three-year span, he brought one of his friends over to be able to help him critique it slightly. A friend came over and looked at this beautiful work of art, and he said, what do you think? And his friend said, I can't take my eyes off of the chalice. It's beautiful. If you notice in our painting, and I know this is the original, it's tough to be able to see, there is no chalice in the painting. Da Vinci, at that moment, went and took his brush and painted over the chalice and told his friend these words, nothing shall detract from Jesus. Tonight, as we gather here together, please, please, let that be your goal. Don't let anything tonight detract you from who we look at, from who we celebrate. And yes, I understand that tonight has this somber melody to it, this sadness that comes along, but there's also a, a deep intimacy and a time of, of celebration that we have. Even the disciples, when they first gathered on this evening to be able to be with their Lord, they gather in a time of remembrance, partially in a time of celebration, to be able to remember the Passover. Let's just briefly look at that Old Testament text that Ed read for us tonight and remember why they are gathered there. God says to the people to take some of the blood from the lamb and to put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses. The blood will be a sign for you and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. There it is, that, that celebration of the Passover. That God says he is coming to be able to lay wrath down upon the false gods that exist. That he is going to put to death every firstborn. That blood is the only thing that is going to save you. But notice that this is only a sign that is there. It is that blood of that lamb that saves those people on that day, but it's the blood of a different lamb that is yet to come that saves all people. Not a sign, not a symbol, but the real thing. And he's the one that begins our gospel lesson for tonight. 
He's the one that talks to you and to me. It says that he's troubled. He's, he's hurting. He's down. And he says these words to his disciples. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Betrayal, it's a, it's a horrible word. If you've ever been betrayed before, you know what it feels like. Because betrayal rarely happens at the hands of a, a stranger, somebody you, you do not know, somebody that is far off. Betrayal happens when it's someone who is near and dear and close to your heart. And that's why that pain exists. And tonight, the witness that we look at that sees all of these events is actually the one who is the betrayer. We've been hitting different witnesses all the way through Lent, and tonight the witness is the one who comes to Jesus and betrays him in the garden. Tonight the witness is one who comes up close and he betrays him with a kiss. Tonight we look at one who betrayed Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver. Tonight we see one who sits right there with Jesus in that painting. You may not know all of the disciples that are gathered there with Jesus. Da Vinci was very specific, and he makes four different groups of the disciples, actually painting them in groups of three. Three on one side, uh, three on the next side, and then three, three. Six on each side, being able to have these small groupings. Judas is just off there with uh, Peter and with John. They're also mentioned in our text for tonight. We'll hear about them in just a moment. And as I stared at this, this painting, again, for so much time this week, uh, I noticed a detail that was left in. Super interesting. Judas has spilled the salt at the table. Da Vinci paints that in. He paints this party foul inside the midst of the Lord's Supper. That Judas has spilled the salt. Why would he put such a detail in? my mind began to, to wander and to think. All of his disciples are gathered there. Remember what their job was. Actually, all of his disciples are also gathered here tonight. Remember what our job is. And again, at no point tonight, let yourself become detracted, distracted, or separated in any way from Jesus. Do you remember the words that Jesus gives to his disciples in the book of Matthew? When he tells them, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This little tiny detail that is hidden there in the painting. The job and the responsibility and privilege of the disciples and of us to be able to preserve that word, to be able to be that salt. He goes on to be able to tell them to be that light, to be able to shine a light, like a city on top of a hill, to be able to share with God uh, the p things that he has given to us, those gifts, but also to be able to take out into the world the wonderful, wonderful blessings God wants us to share with others. Are we being that salt of the earth, or are we spilling it like Judas Continue back with our text. His disciples stare at one another. Who's going to betray you? They're at this loss. 
Which one of them does Jesus actually mean? So Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, John, he's the one who's writing this, and said, ask him, which one? Which one does he mean? Jesus answered him. You hear that as he dips this morsel, this piece of bread, and hands it off to Judas. But it's a great question. Which one? Which one of these 12 followers are going to be the one to be able to betray Jesus? They're all sitting there eating, having their meal. There's lots of different elements at the table. One of the things that da Vinci paints in is a type of fish. It's a herring that he has that the men are all eating, all consuming for part of their meal. In Italian, that word uh, for herring is renga. Renga can mean two things, just like we have some words maybe in the English language that mean two different things. Renga can mean herring or fish. Renga can also mean someone who denies God. It's not just Judas that is eating this renga. In fact, it's not just Judas who denies Jesus at some point. In fact, in a short time from now, we hear the man that sits right with him that wants to know so much who is the one that's going to betray him. Remember, it's that rooster crows. Even as Jesus told Peter that he was going to be able to deny him, he still does it. I'm sure all the other disciples at some point have their way of being able to step back from Jesus, being able to deny them, to be able to put themselves first. And as I stared at that painting and thought about that, I like that the painting was completely open on one side of the table. Obviously, so we could see all the faces of the disciples and, of course, not letting anything detract from Jesus, but also to give me and you a seat. To be able to be there at that table with our Lord. After all, this is an invitation that all of us receive. And not just to have this meal with him tonight, but a seat in remembering a time when we too have probably denied Jesus. And we too have chosen what we want over and above what our Lord has told us to be able to focus on, allowing other things in the world to detract from Jesus. I love that opening song that we sang. Jesus wakes up on, on Thursday morning and he's going about his day knowing what is going to happen that he is going to be betrayed, we are told. And we take this time to be able to see these words of Christ and wonder, why does Jesus allow himself to be betrayed? If he knew it was coming, isn't there something else that he can do? Isn't there a different way that he can go 
about this. Remember, just a handful of days ago, people are celebrating this man, this God, as he comes in on that donkey and they wave those palm branches. But today, he knows betrayal is coming. And why does he do it? Answer is super simple and very intimate. He does it for you. handful of years ago, probably seven or eight years ago now, uh, I had a friend that passed away super suddenly, didn't know it was going to happen. And I went to go uh, visit his wife uh, fairly soon after to be able to talk about the funeral arrangements and just be able to pray with her and spend some time with her. And one of the things that I had was a voicemail that he had left me just a couple days before he died. And I was able to take the phone out and uh, play the voicemail for his widow so she could hear his voice one more time. It was just something generic. Uh, he was talking about audiovisual stuff at church. But in this message, it was, it was his voice, and he referred to his wife's name. And it was so special because it was, it was for her. This little tiny gift for her of being able to hear this voice of somebody that, that loved her so very, very much. Jesus today gives us a gift that is definitely from beyond the grave. His voice giving to us a, a very, very special gift see Christ as he goes through that Thursday he knows that this is his last supper he knows that he's not going to be there anymore in the flesh and in the blood is we would think of him on this earth and so he leaves for us a gift of his true flesh and his true blood that you and I still get to celebrate today in fact that was our epistle lesson that Ed read for us that we got to hear tonight Paul says, for I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Not my words, not Pastor Mark's words, not Paul's words, or any of the other disciples. Jesus' words, his voice directing this specifically for you. And look how he refers to it. Jesus says, this is my body. And goes on right after this to say, this is my blood. And I stand before you tonight and I say, this is a candle. This is my shoe. I'm not saying that that represents a candle. I'm not saying that this is kind of like my shoe. This is what these things are. And so when the Lord shows up and says, this is my body, this is my blood, these are not symbols of that. These are not representations of those things. It's 
there. I can't tell you how. You're a little smarter than I am. Can you tell me how? We can't. Paul says that it's, it's mystical. That it's this mystery that happens in this moment in which these elements of bread and wine come together with the word of the Lord and his body and blood are attached there with, under, and in every single one of these elements. And tonight, you have a seat at this table. When Leonardo da Vinci made that piece of artwork, he was always experimenting with things. This was in the 1400s, and he decided this time, instead of using a wet plaster, he was going to use a dry plaster. And unfortunately, if you know anything about this work, it has been degrading since literally day one. This try didn't work out. This piece needs constant restoration over and over and over again. And I like that about this painting, because that's like me and you, too. Since day one on this earth, my body has been breaking down because of the sin that cracks it apart all the time. And yours, too. We need that restoration, and we need it over and over and over again. And God gives that to us in this element of communion. To be able to come and to be able to deliver that directly to me and to you. So that we have this gift that lives within us. So that we may be that salt of the earth. That we may be that light on the hill. That we may share of who God is. Paul goes on in his second letter to the Corinthians and says exactly that. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. You see, the things that are broken in me show the things that are perfect in God. That's how I am able to see them. The losses that I have just point more and more to the victories that God has for us. The death that all of us will one day experience just points to the life that God has and restore for all of us. And so tonight, as you have this time to be able to experience that gift, come to the altar with a smile and be able to celebrate that Passover. Not just a sign, but the real thing. The communion that God has set a table specifically for you. You and Jesus tonight. This perfect setting for just you. So intimate, so perfect, in a time in which he will deliver again his body and his blood for you. This is what this truly is. And as you come to the rail tonight, clear your mind. Examine yourself ahead of time. Take a moment to pray. Take a moment to confess. Take a moment to remember. And let nothing detract you from Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, for all of us here this evening, we thank you for gathering us.
We thank you for the work that you have done and continue to do on our behalf. As we participate in this wonderful meal tonight, again, give us that great and wonderful love and forgiveness that only you can provide. And be able to strengthen our faith, Lord, that we may go out into the world and await that wonderful promise that comes in just a few short days from now. In Jesus' name we do pray.